Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a crowd podcast. I was 15 stone four. Richard Hatton. Oh, this sounds so good, I'm going to do it. I always had two wardrobes. Did that help your popularity? You felt like one of them. You might be an Olympian, but that don't mean you're going to sell tickets, you know? Where do you stand on it, George? People say, would you ever change anything? Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Happy New Year, Happy Deck. New Year, George. How are you? I'm great. I'm so ready for 2023. Are you? Have you started your shreds? No comment. No comment. I've started. Have you? Yes. Yeah, how's it I have. going? Yeah, I went to the track. It was not, not the same sort of numbers, but uh, <laughs> I got it done. You've got six weeks now to improve on those numbers. And do you know what we got, George? What have we got? First in the club's history. Yes. Facebook group. Facebook group? A yeah. group, yeah. It's come back, Facebook. Yeah. And obviously it's made all, a re-emergence. All the other socials, uh, we need to be um, inundated on there as well with everyone's progress. Yes, please, yeah. Um, have you got anything happening in six weeks? You know I've got something happening in six weeks. I'm going to Disneyland. Okay. Yeah. So this been... is get, get ripped for, for, for Mickey. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, my missus is an absolute rocket. She looks like Princess Jasmine. So Uh-oh. I've got a feeling I've you got to look like... like exactly. <laughs> if she's got me a waistcoat, I'm going to need a six-pack, yeah. you know? More so, like the uh, the genie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exciting day as well for the club, isn't it, George? Oh, it's a road trip day. Deck. First yeah, one. I'm, it is the first one. Yeah. I'm excited to be up here in Manchester. We, we beat um, a head-on collision, it seemed, yeah. um, to be up in, in sunny Hyde. There's only some people that will travel for it, there, to be honest. And one of them guests is, of course, uh, Manchester's finest, Ricky the Hitman Hatton. We're in the Hatton Gym because it's decorated with... An incredible array of Ricky the Hitman hat and memorabilia. Yeah, we've, we've got a ten foot hat and himself in the corner. He's celebrating. Who else we got? We've got all of the all the old posters. I love an old fight post. Look at some of them up there. Do you know what else we got? We've got a picture of a blue circle there. And I was like, what is that? It's obviously Blue Moon. 
pride and center of this gym and rightly so there's two rings in here you've got the assault bike this is basically shreds haven it was still the dead of night when we set off from london me you and ross in the in the fun wagon yes all the way up the whatever roads it was they told us to get there quick yep lots of roads yeah and, and we're here we're not only in the hatton gym in manchester we're going to get hatton in the club more royalty in the club so what was he what was he two weight world champion he's a british boxing legend yes. he is possibly the most popular boxer ever ever from Britain? Definitely from my generation. Yeah. I don't know. In terms of Bru- Bruno, Bruno maybe? Yeah, but, but 40,000 to, but, to but, Vegas. 40,000 to Vegas, you can't beat and that. And you could walk out this door right now and you could speak to any person and they'll have a personal anecdote about Ricky Hatton, about something he's done for him or something he's, a ticket he sold him or his mum or whatever. He's a legend in these the parts. F- a fan's favourite. Yeah, and he's a very busy man as well. Not long off boxing himself, but he said, do you know what? He said, there's one thing I need to do this year and that's join GGP. BC. You're right, Dick. Last yeah. year, at the end of last year, he did, um, he come out and had an exhibition bout, which I want to really pick his brain about. Yeah. See, about is, there, is there more comebacks coming on? How hard was it? Is it worth my while? Should we get him in? Let's get him in. Let's get him on, on the show in the club. Deck, we've got a treat today. We have. He's Ricky the Hitman Hatton. Yeah, good to see you, boys. He's good in the to club. Finally, yeah, good to finally get on it. I've been watching uh, watching you doing it on social. I was due to go on it a while back, wasn't I? But, you know, just but with the diary being busy and everything like that. But it's good to finally uh, get on and speak to you, mm. all, to you both, yeah. Appreciate you squeezing us in. Pleasure. What are we going to talk about then, George? Because we've got a lot to go at. See, normally what we do, Ricky, is we'll have like a theme. But when it's someone like you, you kind of think, we can't just stay on one theme, can we? No, we can't, no. I don't know. What do we really Let's start up right up to the present day. For, for all intents and purposes, you you boxed, what, like a couple of months ago? Yeah, exhibition belt. It's yeah. Marco Antonio Barrera, which was brilliant. Marco's been a friend of mine for a, for a number of years. And um, it first should have been done July 2nd. The phone call from the, the promoters in question turned around and said, listen, Ricky, it's been a you know frustrating time because we'd only just come out of lockdown. So it's been a frustrating time, you know, for, for us all. We've all been locked in our houses. We've not been able to see family and friends and that, you know, it's been a bad time for people with mental health. Do you know what I mean? I, I lost my uh, my cousin, he hung himself four weeks into lockdown, which was very, very upsetting. None of us could go at the funeral. They only allowed two people at the funeral and, you know, just stuff like that. So we're, we're, now we're coming out of lockdown. They said, Ricky, what do you... What, how would you fancy doing one last dance at the Manchester Arena against Marco Antonio Barrera? And it'd be a good way, you know, to plug mental health and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And it, bearing in mind what happened to me cousin Stephen like that, I went, oh, yeah, I said, that, that's an easy decision. I said, I know Marco, I know there'd be no cheap shots and liberties taken and to hear the roar of the crowd again one last time. It, it, was, it was brilliant. And I think uh, it inspired a lot of people with my weight loss. And, you know, the fact that, you know, I was in such a bad way uh, a few years ago. So to, to be where I am present days uh, helps a lot of people, not only myself. You always make the odd retired fighter and you get that knee-jerk reaction where you're like, oh, this sounds so good, I'm going to do it. But then there's usually quickly comes that stumbling block. This like, oh, I've got to go running or, oh, God, put the fork down. I can't go out for a beer tonight. I can't do that. <laughs> How did you get on there? What was the first thing where you've gone, oh. It's like anything. It's like when you're repetitious, isn't it? You know what I mean? Training is is very, very addictive. You know what I mean? Once once you get the ball rolling and get going, you know what I mean? It's It, it was easy 
for me. It was easy for me to do. And to be honest with you, I'm not ready. I'm 44 now. I'm not ready for me. Not just ready for me pipe and slippers just yet. Yeah. <laughs> but life does slow down for us at a certain point, you know. And I reached a point where I'm not, you know, going chasing skirt around Manchester every, you know, every five minutes. I'm not, you know, I'm out not out every night. You know, I mean, I, I'm at 44 years of age. I'm nicely settled where I am with my life and that. Life has really, really slowed down for me. So it was easier than what you think. And the fact that I've been able to keep on top of things since, you know, I put a few pounds on since the exhibition, but I always had two wardrobes. When I was fighting, uh, and now I'm, I'm sticking with the one because you know what I mean. It's like I used to put weight on in between fights. I was famous for it because I always knew I'd eventually be back in a training camp. You know what I mean. So I thought it doesn't matter. Put a bit of weight on. You know what I mean. I'll be back in training camp in about seven or eight weeks. Well, there's not many more training. There's no more training camps coming now, <laughs> isn't there? So I've got to keep it down. And I think that for me, for me health. And uh, I was 15 stone four. You know, and I'm doing me bag work. And I'm doing me training. I'm doing me work and pad, padding the boys and for being that way at five foot six wasn't healthy for me is that a bonus where you go All right, i'll have this fight and you just know i'm gonna fit into that number one wardrobe again that's like <laughs> yeah, the, that's yeah. i'm thinking i'm looking at no. some of the suits i had at home thinking if i go into camp <laughs> i'll probably squeeze yeah, into one of them well, right that was a 36 inch waist do you know what I mean? It was like, you know, frightening really, you know. So now I've got my wardrobe. I've you know, got 13-inch waist. And I've got a 32-inch wardrobe as well. And the minute them 32 inches get tight, you can't go out, you can't <laughs> order a takeaway, you can't order pizza, get to the gym and make sure you're fitting them things. And, I, and I've been doing it. I was getting letters in the gym going, you've inspired me, you know, to get my weight off. I never thought my weight would move again, but I thought mm. if you can do it, you know, you know, we, I can do it. And, you know, a few years ago, I was heavily into drink, drugs, suicide, do you know what I mean? You know, my mental health and that nearly wasn't here. Do you know what I mean? And people know that. And to see me where I am now and keeping on top of things and, you know, I've enjoyed inspiring people, I guess. Yeah. He is inspiring. He's inspiring. How did it feel? Obviously, you've always been a fun guy. You always tried to find the humour in it and you come out with a, a Zimmer frame for this. Yeah. <laughs> was that well, your, was that well, your, was your that making? Was my, that was my idea. But the, um, and Sky, the, the entrances on Sky are normally first class, aren't they? And that, but they balls that one up. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, because I wanted that. I wanted the song, Welcome home, welcome, welcome, <laughs> you're home again. And then there's another chorus after, Welcome home, welcome, now close the door. So I wanted the two choruses, and bit by bit, then I'd get down the ramp in my Zimmer frame, and I'd get on the straight, and then then by the time that, then it'd kick into Blue Moon, you know, and I'd fold the Zimmer frame away, and I had it all in my hand. But it went, it went, Welcome home, Blue Moon. <laughs> But I wanted to get yeah, you, you know, I wanted to get halfway down the ramp so everyone could see it. But I think a few people on certainly on the night might have missed it. You no, know, because it was over that quick. I thought, but but everyone's turned around and said to me, Oh, Rick, you with that Zimmer frame. I wanted to, I was gonna come out in a in a buggy, you know, yeah. you know the <laughs> buggy And then they went, Oh no, no, you can't do that, you can't do that. The Zimmer frame so but it but yeah, I, I always try and do the extra little bit for my fans, you know what I mean? I come out in the fat suit one time and I've come out in the Zimmer frame and you know, come out that there's only one Ricky Fatten song that'll come out a few times yeah. and I always try to put a show on for me fans yeah the fat suit was when you boxed outdoors at, Man at the yeah I boxed at the in Man City at Man City at Manchester Stadium and then I used it for the Malinaji fight I come out to this Ricky Hatton fat song he said he's never seen a salad that's why hi ho Ricky Fatten here all the pies and I did that in Las Vegas <laughs> and I swear you could just see all the Americans looking at me as if to go 
motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> he's not even that yeah. fat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seems right to me. Yeah. So, but in England, they get it, don't they? You know, Ricky Fatten and everything like that. But, you know, not the Americans were like <laughs> scratching their head. I was with it. my mate Good quite times. far back at the, um, at the homecoming <laughs> one in Manchester and I was like that's clever because it was it's outdoors it's cold I was like he's come out he's, he's, he's wants he's going to start quick tonight mate he's uh, he's nice and warm he's got he's got that thick suit on he's going to watch it back on the telly and I was it's like, a joke yeah. it's a joke yeah. <laughs> it was after the Mayweather fight um, and I, I struggled coming to terms with the defeat I know it was Floyd Mayweather and all that but I didn't go over there just to make the numbers up I thought I'm going to beat him because I thought to myself you know Castillo who was a pressure fighter he pushed him close I think he might have he yeah. was unlucky not mm. to get that decision in the first fight and then Marcus Maidana pushed him really, 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 really close. And I thought, I've got more in my locker than, than Marcus. No disrespect. So I thought, if I get close with my speed of feet, you know, and my punch volume and my engine and my fitness, if I get close, I'm not going to outbox him, I'm not going to outspeed him, but I'll throw more punches. And if I'm allowed to get close to throw more punches, I think I can I can win this, you know. But when the referee, I don't think, I'm not saying I'd have won the fight anyway, but I think whatever chance I did have, the referee took that right from right from under me. But when I decided to make a comeback at the City of Manchester Stadium, all the press put in the paper, oh, Ricky Fatton, yeah, he's never going to come back. Look at all the weight he's got to shift, the fat so-and-so, you know, and all that. And I I always got on well with the press, do you know what I mean? They always they always liked me, but I used to, I used to, it wound me up so the, the fat suit was a little bit of a way of a two fingers up to the press but without having an actual dig at them but uh, yeah how was it like being back in them shots coming at you again in my sparring I sparred with me with my boxers and I sparred with a couple of the lightweights you know for the speed because I thought Marco you know he, he's naturally a little bit smaller than me he's got a good left jab so I sparred with a couple of my lightweights and you know for the speed merch and then I thought I've got to get used to being it again um, here so I sparred with Brett McGinty who's a light you know he's a light middleweight he's a you know he's a, he's a big lad and uh, a little bit gun shy a little I think for the first th when Brett cracked me with the first few I thought mm, maybe this one's such a good <laughs> idea <laughs> but uh, no again it's just you know your, your body gets accustomed to it doesn't it you know battle, battle hardened and I think best thing that happened to me lads was it getting postponed because I was starting feeling niggles and aches and pains because yeah. don't forget it's the first time I'd done my weights but then when it got postponed there's a big difference between one training camp in 10 years and two training camps it's as if the first when it got postponed the first the first camp I was able to shake the cobwebs off yeah. and um, the second camp I started from a higher plane Yeah, do, do you know what I mean so you know and the, there's less aches and less pains every time I got it I could just you know shake it off because I mean it's you know I'd got that shock to my system so I was at a damn sight better. I'd have been all right if they hadn't got postponed, but I think I was a damn sight better in the, the second time round than I would have been in the first, yeah. Does it feel different getting hit in the face now? It does. does it <laughs> no, feel, imagine... still, no, it's still not very pleasant, but I mean, the, I mean listen, I know my best days are, are behind me now. When I think of putting them 10-ounce gloves on again and doing the 12 threes and that, no chance. <laughs> do you know what <laughs> I mean? But to do it with the right opponent, like a Marco Antonio Barrera, where I know there'd be no liberties taken, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, bigger gloves, less rounds, shorter rounds. I'm all for them because I think the thing is, as fight fans, we don't want to see our heroes get hurt or knocked out. And nine times out of ten, how many times do our heroes come back, give it one last go, and you see them laid out and flattened and hurt? And that's the upsetting fact. But in an exhibition, you can see your, your heroes showcase the skills one last time, you know, without the risk of seeing them getting... If someone come forward for me to fight a YouTuber, no, because I'm very fortunate. I've been able to, to look after my money and I've done very well. But, 
you know, so I, I don't do it for the money. If you turn around and said to me, oh, it's going to be against the Marco Antonio Pereira or the Juan Manuel Marquez or the Miguel Cotto, oh, yeah, I'd do that all the time because you're sharing the ring with them guys I've just mentioned. But if they said it to a YouTuber, I'd be thinking to myself, well, I don't know him, you know, but him, poor, I always wondered I would go on against him. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But, you know, it's probably gone behind me now, them exhibitions. But, I mean, if something come forward, I'd always look at it because of how well it did for my own well-being. There was nothing negative to come out of that. Discipline-wise, when you were straight back in here, did it feel just like it always did? When I jumped the bar for the first time, because I'd done that ever since I was, yeah. I was eight. You got it at the same height you used to? Yeah. Or a little bit lower now? <laughs> no, no, same height. No, same height. I was doing practically, you know, I'd, I'd train my boxers Monday, Monday and Friday, well, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I'd do my training after. But then on Wednesdays, I'd join in with the boxers. You know what I mean? You know, if they're doing the bar, they're doing the pads, they're doing the body belt, the prowler and everything like that, I'd jump in and join in with them because I thought to myself, listen, you know what I mean? I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be doing, well, you're only doing an exhibition, so you just do half of the work, Ricky. You know, I can't do that, no, can't you, can't, we? you know yeah. what I mean? So <clears throat> it was enjoyable to spar with my fighters and train and join in with my fighters. And I turned around and said, I've got to do everything that they're doing. And um, the first time I jumped the bar, which is the first time I'd done it in 10 years, I thought my lungs were absolutely going to explode. <laughs> I did like two. I was like, oh, once a few, but you know, this muscle memory in it, once a few weeks up under my belt. Yeah, it was. I was flying. And your mentality there, Rick, you still, you're still competitive in the gym, even trying to keep up with the younger guys now. Oh, abso abso absolutely, absolutely. And I think it was good for me boxers as well. Sometimes, you know, I was doing the eight round. We do eight rounds, you know, every every day come up, May. Even if we've not got a date ticket over, we do eight physical rounds on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. For them, as you know, for the, the, the fighters I'm training, they're like, you know, 21, 22, 23, do you know what I mean? And, and you know, I'm matching them, you know what I mean? And I'm, you know, double their age, you know, so I think they said, fair, fair, <laughs> gee, fair play, do you know what I mean? And uh, it was good all around. And I think it made me a better tra better trainer because I was lighter, I was I was fresher, I was fitter. I think the advice I was giving me fighters was better because, you know, your mind, when you're healthy, you know, if you feel, if you feel, feel and look like shit, you probably the advice is not going to be, you know, as, as good as what it normally would be. And I think, to be honest, because my mind was racing because I was doing my own training. And I think the advice when they were training or they were sparring, and they had the fights coming up I was I felt a bit more on the ball if that makes any sense yeah, yeah. so I'll try and put down my amateur gym on a Sunday morning and you just see it from the other side as a coach don't you yeah yeah so like you're trying to implement all the things that you liked and, and learned while she was fighting onto someone else but then they're giving you something different back so you're always changing and adapting you almost feel like a, di a different you would be a different fighter I feel if yeah, I came back yeah. now and you know you never stop learning I mean I, I used to love when I used to go um, sparring in the different gyms in Las Vegas when I was when I was fighting over there on a regular basis I went for a period where I had like five fights in, in Las Vegas dinner and we'd go around all the different gyms and um the majority of the training I do was the stuff that I got from Billy Graham. Obviously, Billy Graham was the best trainer that I had ever worked with. I was fortunate to work with um, Floyd Mayweather Sr., which, you know, there were some things that Floyd did that some things I didn't agree with. I thought, no, oh, no, maybe that's not for me. But, you know, some of the things. And I'd go in other gyms and I'd, and I'd nick stuff. And I think you never stop learning. You know what I mean? If you, if you see something, you know, I mean, some fight, some trainers like to think, I know it all, me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know it all. This is the way you do it. And that's the way you do it. I think as a trainer and a boxer, you never stop learning. You've got to be open-minded, open-minded and new. Because look, the fighters in the 1950s and 60s wasn't training like they're training today. But if 
you train today, like in the 1950s and 60s, you're not going to get there, are you? Mm -hmm. You're not going to. You're not going to be. You're going to be nowhere near. And I think it's all about moving with the times and keeping open to to nicking stuff that can improve. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Obviously, you came back against Senchenko, obviously not an exhibition fight. And that was about, I remember covering that fight and you were talking, it was like scratching an itch for you because you had unfinished business, ghost to exercise. This one's a different kettle of fish, but did it scratch an itch for you a little bit, do you think? Very much so. For this, you know, the Senchenko fight, I, I sort of picked a bit of an early, and you know, an easier opponent yeah, for that. You easy. know what I mean? He was a former world champion, 34 wins, one defeat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, when I said to me, and my team advised me, and I was like, listen, I'd have beat him a few years ago. No, no problem. So if I can't beat him, what does that tell me? That tells me I deserve to be. And they went, well, well yeah, but I'd, I'd go for him next, Ricky, or something <laughs> like that. But in typical Ricky out in fashion, it's not what I was like. You know, the challenge was always there, but uh, he was a very dangerous opponent. But uh, I think I was in a better frame of mind for my exhibition than I was actually in my comeback. And I know my exhibition was 10 years on. But the one thing when I made, when I was doing my fight against Senchenko, was that I'd fought me demons, you know what I mean? I put a lot of things behind me and I was in the right position mentally, you know, in order to make a comeback. But two things that I hadn't done, I hadn't made up with Billy Graham. And I hadn't made up with my mum and dad. More importantly, my mum and dad, because um, for every fight, as, a, as an 11 year old, as an amateur, mum and dad ringside, you know what I mean? So the last fight, before the Centennial fight, my last fight was Pacquiao, mum and dad ringside. And when uh, I started off the first few rounds, pretty good, you know, I was winning the fight, you know, and look, you know, looking good at that. But then he started to come back into it a little bit. And he had a few de decent rounds, so I could see the tide turning a little bit in the fight. I'd look down at ringside with a bit of panic, you know, where, so where my mum and dad used to. And all, all through my career, you know, I just used to look at ringside and I'd get, you know, that from my mum and dad, you know. And I was looking down at ringside and my mum and dad weren't there, you know what I mean, because I hadn't made up of him yet. And I think my head fell off a little bit mid-fight, you know. Bob Shannon, who was training me at the time, said, Ricky, are you listening to me? Are you actually listening to me? And I was going like, you know, down there, where's my mum and dad? Where's my mum and dad? Where's my mum and dad? And then bit by bit, the round started slipping away. And um, I think I was still winning, but then he got me with a body shot and you know and, and that was that but the point I'm making is even though it was 10 years on 
I think I, I made up with my mum and dad. I made up with Billy Graham. I think even though it was 10 years on, I was in a lot better place mentally than I was for my combat fight against Senchenko. I had fought a lot of demons against Senchenko, but the two main things I needed to, to get back in my life was in my life. And I think that affected me in the fight. Floyd Mayweather was a name. You know what boxing's like straight away. It's like, what could be next? He's doing exhibitions. He's done a few actual fights, hasn't he? Would you call him that? But he said, well, <laughs> maybe not, but he said he'd like to do an exhibition. And um, I'm not going to say no. I think if something like that come forward, I'd be an idiot not to look at it. You know, he's arguably the greatest fighter of all time. I felt a little bit peeved that I, um, you know, that the referee didn't allow me to fight the fight I'd like to. And I'm not saying that I'd have won anyway. But I mean, you know, what chance did, like I said earlier, what chance I did have? I think that was squashed from the first round. But um, yeah, and I just wonder though, because I mean, me and Marco are like that. You know, what I mean, he's a gentleman who respects me. But I don't know whether you know if it if it got a little bit because sometimes it got a bit heated with me and Marco and we knew when to you know yeah. when to step yeah. off uh, I don't know whether I'm friendly enough with Mar <laughs> with Floyd Mayweather you know for if I put it on him a little bit you know he, he'd, he'd probably think don't take the piss so I don't know whether it would turn into a little bit of a potential war you know <laughs> what I mean but uh, I'd look at it you know if it came came about you know to share the ring it was arguably the greatest of all time to have another move around with him yeah he would be, you get, he what would I mean, be though? you get what I mean though with that you know yeah. what I mean I knew Marco when the dig went in he'd look at me as if to go <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> made your point you know what I mean <laughs> but with Floyd if a, you know if a little dig went a little bit because it, it can happen you know in an exhibition you put one in a little bit harder than maybe you probably would have done you know would he retaliate full time Floyd maybe he would yeah, I mean, how would you prepare for that? Say, say it was an exhibition. It was mutually agreed. It's like it's an exhibition with exhibition rules. But could you actually prepare for an exhibition? Yeah, if he, if he, if he's going to try and steamroll me, I've got yeah. to be ready. Well, if he put if he put one a bit a bit of an heavy digging, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I'd go, hey, cheeky, you know, and I put one <laughs> back. It, yeah. Then he sends one back. Then he sends <laughs> one back. Then before you know it, it's going off. Isn't it? Oh. <laughs> and all that wouldn't happen with Marco. Have you seen much of him since since the fight? You seen the conventions and stuff? Yeah. No, I haven't. To be honest with you, no. I mean, uh, you know, keep an eye on him on. on social media you know what he's doing these exhibition fights he's had I mean I think if I was going to do an exhibition fight I'd do it against someone like Marco Antonio Barrera I'd do it against a Miguel Cotto I'd do it against a Juan Manuel Marquez and that because you know the the legends and it would always be oh, I wonder because with Marco he's like uh, he's been a friend and we all know how good Marco Antonio Barrera is but just to get in there and find out first hand how good he actually is mm. if you if you turn around and said do you want to fight this YouTuber you know or anything I'm not dis disrespecting a YouTuber but I mean if I don't know him and you know you got to put him away as well yeah, well, yeah. If he's a YouTuber you got to iron him out you know most <laughs> people won't accept anything less yeah, you know? so I'm just thinking to myself you know I would, would I want to do a move about with someone I don't know or would I want to share a ring with a former two weight or three weight or five times world champion what that I've, I haven't boxed oh day long you'd have to go for that wouldn't you because we never stop we never even though you've been a fighter and I'm now a trainer we never stop being boxing fans no, yeah. So to share the ring with a Miguel Cotto or one Manuel Marquez or someone like that, you know, as a boxing person, all day long that. But, you know, you put a YouTuber and you might get a few more quid more, but no, I couldn't get out of bed for that. Where do you stand on it, George? Because I'm, I'm wondering here if you're listening to this and there's a couple of juices. No, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to and he's going, take, I, yeah, he's, he's, he's far ahead of me. He's got the experience. I'm trying to... 
take what he's yeah. saying. Like you got valid reasons to get in the gym and, and have a go, which I think is really honourable. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the right reasons, they're the ones that you can sit back with and, and yeah. be at peace yeah. with in time to come. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, these exhibitions, it's like, you know, it's, it's got to be competitive because, I mean, I, I said to Marco, I said, listen, it's got to be competitive, this Marco. I said, because, you know, it was all about the show I put on for me fans, you know what I mean? It wasn't just about, you know, like like Floyd would say, all it's about is getting paid. No, it wasn't for me. About getting paid and putting on a show for the fans that every one of them fans would go home and say, oh, oh what, a, what a night, you know, what a fight, what a, the entrance to this, to that. And I said to Marco, he said, it's got to be entertaining. Otherwise, you know, I, I said, I, I can't have one fan walking out of that, or that exhibition, that what a waste of time, that one, it, just, you know, that had killed me. I'd rather not even do it in the first place if I thought that was going to happen, you know. So, yeah, so it, I think it was competitive enough. And I think, to be honest with you, you're, you're not, you're not going to get hurt. You know, mm. George could do it do one of them all day long i mean you know oh, you yeah. put you know you put the small gloves on do you know what i mean and all you're doing the 12 three minute rounds or anything like that i think you'll agree the eight twos eight two minute rounds it was was comfortable i had graph but it was comfortable you know what i mean you know a few little digs went in it was exciting my exhibition but i mean it was um more than doable it's yeah. you know it's i mean it's, it's an exhibition it's not a comeback we all know we've had a day, but an mm. exhibition, nothing negative to come out of it for yeah. me. You talk about wanting to deliver for the fans, and obviously you was a fan favourite, massive, massive following. Like, when did that start, Ricky? Like, was that from the get-go, even when you was an amateur turning pro? Or was it was something conscious in your mind? Like, you wanted to deliver for the fans, but therefore you wanted as many people there supporting you as possible. And then how did you go about developing that well, fan I was, base? I was, I was always a good ticket seller, even when I was an amateur. You know, I mean, my mum and dad... Um, had about four or five public houses, you know, um, while, I, while I was growing up. So then when I started, I did kickboxing at first, you know oh, what I mean? George. Yeah. Everyone did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but then, oh, you know, not all, but I mean, the high majority of the customers in the pub would come and watch me do kickboxing. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'd have about, you know, I mean, 150 coming watching me, you know, do, you know, kickbox when I was about nine or 10. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so then when I had my first amateur fight, all the customers had come down and everything like that. And I've always just been able to sell the tickets. I mean, growing up in a pub and everything like that makes sense of it. And then when I was, when I, when I turned professional, I used to go around all the pubs that I used to go in. And he used to go, there's 100 tickets for you, mate. I said, you know, Tommy, if you can sell all them 100, there's two tickets there for you and your missus. And I'll go in the next pub. They are Steve. There's another, there's 100 for you. You know what I mean? If you can flog them, you know, there's two tickets for you. And then, then I'd just set the two tickets free out of the commission. You know, you have my first fight in witness, my first professional fight in witness. I think I'd done about 500 tickets in, 400 tickets you know, for an 18-year-old. And I think it then it, it just got more and more popular. Frank Warren built me and Anthony Farnell, Michael Gomez and um, myself all on the same show together. And they were they were big, big ticket sellers as, as well. And fighting regular in our hometown of Manchester, I think that's obviously kept it up. We, we helped each other, the three of us, yeah. Yeah. You had a following from the amateurs, though, didn't you? You were knocking people out as an amateur. So do you think that, that helped? Yeah, I was very... Uh, it was funny, Matthew. Ma Macklin uh, was mentioning it on the on his Instagram the the other day. And, yeah, Richard um, Richard Hatton. Yeah, uh, Richard yeah. Hatton. Yeah, yeah. But people, you know, because I'd, like, I'd won the schoolboys and I was, like, knocking everyone out with body punches and everything like that. And I didn't, you know, at the time, I didn't fight like a traditional amateur. Body punching wasn't really a, what they... When I was at Crystal Palace, I don't think they showed me a body punch. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really the amateur way, was it? But, you know, when I come out, I'd roll in and slip and slide and I'd throw the body punches and there was like, you know, 
coaches would come to like schoolboy finals and junior ABA finals, you know, to watch me. When's that? When's that Richard Atten on? When's that Richard Atten on? Oh, we've come down from you know, and it was like I had a fan's favourite style, didn't I? Coming mm. forward, body punching, and you know, I think the fact that. Uh, as I got more and more popular, that I never got too big for my boots, never got, you know, just what you see is what you get. I think people like that part of me just as much as they did the boxing part, yeah. Was it tough then once you've um, handed out all your tickets around the pub, there's always a story of like, <laughs> you get your half of them back or Absolutely, someone hasn't yeah, got your yeah, money yeah. back. So was so that you, your job or did yeah. you manage to get someone to no, go and collect in, for in you? The, in the end, I used to get my dad to do it and, and Paul speak, you know, to, to do it. Well, in the end, that they'd end up coming to them you know, to get the tickets. But I mean, you've got in the pub and how many mates you'd go oh, all right rick where's the fight next week all right yeah gets 50 gets 50 <laughs> yeah. i saw you the money out gets 50 and then you know the following week comes you know oh uh you, give us five yeah. <laughs> 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 and that always used to that, that was always the case you know when they've had a few beers oh i'll sell, sell him yeah and i'll get the money to you you know and it was like so then you're like you you're taking a big chunk out of your back to the way and sorry, you know. <laughs> and it used to do me head in. So, yeah, it was taking out my hands for my dad. Yeah, my dad and Paul Speed used to uh, used to do it, yeah. For, for listeners who might not be totally up to speed with how it works with with a young pro and trying to sell tickets like that, explain the process then. So, the promoter gives you tickets to sell for the finest on you as the boxer to shift them. Yeah, and I mean, I mean to be honest with you, I mean, some if you're very fortunate to get a contract, you know, great, you know, you'll have your set field. But, I mean, no matter how how old boxing goes the, the ticket sellers always get the most work even whether you've got a contract or not you know you find a lot of uh, the up and coming pros who might not you know if you've been a great amateur or decorated amateur or anything like that you're going to get a contract aren't you you know but I mean nine times out of ten if, you're at, if you don't have that amateur pedigree background you go on what they call a ticket deal isn't they? where you've got to give so many to the promoter pay for your own opponent and then whatever tickets you sell on top of that that's your your wage and it's uh it is tough, but um, ideally, if you've got a if you've got a contract, you know what I mean, and and if you've got a contract and you shift the tickets, uh, you're gonna. I mean, because I mean, it doesn't matter how far boxing goes, the ticket sellers are the ones that get all the all the work, aren't they? Even yeah. still, you were selling tickets. Yeah, you? I had a conservative push to sell tickets from the start. I remember in the ABA finals that you were called trying to sell tickets because you want the promoters to take notice. Deck, you know I mean, like oh, you might be an Olympian, but that don't mean you're going to sell tickets. You know, uh, if if you can I say if you can do both you're always going to be in work because <laughs> like oh, yeah. promoters always want a ticket seller you know rarely will a show go on sale and just sell and out you know a lot of these professors there's a few lads in our gym there's one particular lad in our gym that didn't have a contract he started off on a ticket deal and once you get you know once you show you the promise put a few wins to put a winning record together he went to about 12 and 0 and then he got his contract mm. do you know what I mean so in the end you know you've got to start off there and then if you start showing a little bit of promise and so that's the you know the goal is like listen and you, you're not, you're not going to get a contract because you've no amateur real pedigree or as, as such or you'll go on a ticket deal but needs to save your show that promise and you keep improving and everything like that you'll get your contract further down the line and that's that's the goal for most of these up and coming professionals now you know what I mean if, you, if you've come from the world games or the Olympics or this or or that you know what I mean you'll get looked after that but nine times out of ten you have to start on a ticket deal and just see how you how you progress and pan out yeah was it like a snowball for you? Did it did it just grow and grow every, with every fight? Is that how it felt at that time? Yeah, and it's just it was it was it was amazing to see how the crowds went. You know, from like 
3,000, to then 4, to then 5, to then 8, to then 12, to, to 20. And it was like when I was the WBU uh, champion, I won the WBU title against <clears throat> Tony Pepp in Wembley Conference Centre. And then I fought in my first defence, I fought an American guy called John Bailey. There was 6,000 there, the Manchester Arena. Do you know what I mean? And the next time I... Uh, I think I fought Freddie Pendleton, who was a former uh, world champion. And then the next time, there was like 9,000 there. And then the next fight, I fought Eamon McGee, you know what I mean? And then there was like 16,000 there. And it, just seeing it, you know, grow, get bigger and bigger as it as it got on, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he was, was seeing safe hands with Ricky Hatton at one point <laughs> at a Manchester Arena. He always sold out. Was you ready to box like every week at that oh, point? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, is like, you know, I, I, you know, a lot was made about, you know, me ballooning up in weight, you know, and, you know, and going out having a drink and stuff like that. But I mean, that was only when I got to the stage, when I got to like world title stage, where I was having like maybe three fights a year. I used to do like 12 weeks training camp. So you have three fights a year. You know what I mean? People used to go on about me drinking and me ballooning and that. But, you know, I, it wasn't, you know, you have three fights a year, 12 weeks training camp at a time, three fights a year. There's 36 weeks of the year where you're in, where you're in training. So how much how, how, how much are you going on the piss? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it's not, so they, I think it got, I mean, I didn't help myself with <laughs> what they saw. <laughs> because I did it, I only needed a week. <laughs> <laughs> like that. But I mean, that people say, oh, you must have been at it for months, him, you know, in between fighting. It wasn't months. Think about it. So they had know, two courage. 12 week training camp, you know what I mean? Three fights a year, you know, the 36 weeks of the year where you, you're training. Hmm. When you box in, you end up sometimes you can yo yo. I had yeah. it in my career where, but you, you always have to said push it's it. a good thing. Yeah, I had to have that that break after a fight with a mental switch off and just a bit of a relax. But then your body would go soft and hmm. go heavy. If you got a bit too heavy, you go into camp and the camp's really hard. Like you got you're then really on a calorie restricted diet. You know you're on it, you're on it, you're on it, and then you box. You ain't got to even take the piss. You just have a go back to normal, and your normal is now just off the charts because your metabolism's wrecked and everything so you end up ballooning back up you're like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> and then to, you go I, up and yeah, down up I and down I've had to say a Campbell a few times and he goes alright oh, he said well you know I've got this date coming up he said so uh, I'll start my training camp you know and then I go hang, hang, hang on a minute you don't go into training camp and you're doing your four and your six rounders you're always in training camp you know if you're having eight fancy you're at that stage of your career you're not preparing for like you know the next day or the next one year you're preparing for the next two three four five six seven eight ten years hopefully you know what you're doing so mm. I said you know you no, I think I'll start my training camp next week. What do you mean start your training camp? You know, so he's he's in the gym all the time in fairness, Campbell. He's very, very, very dedicated. And to be honest with you, I was my first year as a pro, I had nine fights. Mm. So, you know, and I, people used to turn around and say, oh, well, he was doing this, he was doing that, you know. It's just, it was mainly because of the way I looked <laughs> to know what I was doing. Because if you think about it, you know, there's only, only having a little bit of a gap, whether you're fighting for your titles or whether you're doing your four and six rounders. People blew it up a little bit more than what it what it actually was because you can't, you know, you can't do what I do or achieve what I achieved, you know, like four world titles, two weight divisions, you know, and 48 fights I finished with and fight, fight. You, you can't do that if you were spending as much time ballooning and on the on the beer or, and, and eating and all that can't do what I did mm. no if you I definitely was, can't if I, was, if I was doing what people were, were saying think mm. about it you know? yeah I think it's just easy people jump on a bandwagon yeah, don't they, they yeah, give yeah. you a label mm. and that's it yeah, it's perfect <laughs> equally do you think that being in the pub and playing the darts and going to football did that help your popularity you felt like one of them yeah very much so but I mean I people say would you ever change anything I would say no 
because Ricky, because I was a little Jack the Lag, the little Manchester scallywag, you know <laughs> what I mean? Was up and down in way, you'd see me on the terrace, that on the main road with a pie and a bovril, you know what I mean? Then you'd see me in the pub playing darts and it, they, you know, fans, fight fans must have found it hilarious. <laughs> Look at him, eh? we'll go and watch him next week. What a good lad, you know what I mean? And it's so, having said that though, any of my boxers that I train or Campbell, for instance, if they were doing the same as, as I was doing, I mean, I'd chuck him out the gym and say, I'd, I'd say, no, 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 do as I say, not as I do. That's what it is, you know what it is. So all my fighters now, I get them weighed in, you know, before the training camps, get them weighed in after, because everyone's metabolism is dirt, you've got different, you've got to know what, what they can put on and what they lose, and mm. you know, as far as the, the way it goes. If they, have a, if they have a fight, you know, and they say, we can have a little bit of time off, I'll say, right, okay, you can go on holiday, but I don't want you coming back. Uh, above that weight and stuff like that and I think it's helped I mean if Billy Graham had, have, had have said that to me right right you can go and you can have a few weeks off but I don't want you coming up in that way I'd have probably said piss off Billy you know Billy knew how it worked for me but I think I'm doing right by my boxers and you know just you know anything you can do that's going to um, damage you know, you know anything that damages your body you know try and keep it to a minimum right so that's part one very good so far a lot, a lot of ground covered already yes yeah. yes we, we've covered the comeback mm. and some of the other nights but I want to know a bit more I think we need to get into the big nights now got a feature an epic feature as always let's go let's go